Because of the paucity of good argument for not ordaining women mm. and all the arguments that have been put forward can be challenged. Given that, what I often wonder is, what really is behind it then? Have you thought yeah, about... I thought about it. I mean, I do think that, I mean, someone like Mary McAleese would say patriarchy, misogyny. And I think there's definitely, that's a factor. Apart from those prejudices which the church may have within itself, which can often be unconscious I do think there is a larger question about continuity of doctrine and the Church's understanding of its own unity. So I think that was one of the reasons why Pope Paul VI found it difficult to move on the birth control issue, even though he was advised by the vast majority of the people he consulted that he needed to move. He's on record as being very afraid that this would show that the Church wasn't in continuity with a whole tradition. So he went with a very small minority of people. And that is one really clear area where people, the sense of Adelium, have spoken and they do not follow that teaching. I think you're right. And I think it's becoming increasingly obvious that the teaching on homosexuality on gay people may be at the start, if you like, of that same kind of process that theology will be forced into re-examining the reasons. But you can see what's involved there. It's something to do with how you look at what's called doctrinal development. Is it organic? Is it linear? Is it always just in strict continuity? Mm. Or are there elements of correction and revision? Like the thing I mentioned about the man being head of the woman in the marriage situation. And I think as a church, we have found that difficult. And I think somebody who's Pope in particular, because of the authority we give the Pope in our church, is very conscious of trying to maintain unity. You saw the efforts that Benedict, for example, made to the whole Lefebvre movement in terms of the liturgy. And so there is that kind of weight of expectation which the popes have in a particular kind of way that many of us don't have because we're not in that position of trying to keep us all together, that unity is a strong value. But this pope, to be fair, has stressed that that unity ought to be strong enough to accommodate diversity. And I think we're moving to a point where we really have to look at the fact that church teaching develops in a way that allows of correction. And it may be because of that that the church, in terms of the ordination of women, because it's such a hot-button topic and so on, is not confident that it's able, with credibility, to change its opinion. And I think we have got ourselves into a hole there. We've got into a hole in the sense that we've tended to view all church teaching as equally binding, as almost infallible. What Yves Congar, the great Dominican theologian, is said to have talked about in terms of creeping infallibility, all kinds of things which weren't meant to be at that level. We have to become more comfortable with saying that the church does its best at a particular time to offer direction and wisdom on various issues conscious of the fact that there may be a growth in knowledge of the particular situation which may involve a change in church teaching. Rana was great on that already in the 1970s, talking to the German bishops. Don't dig yourself in so 
firmly into a position or be faced with new progress in bioethics and so on and feel you have to give the definitive word immediately be open enough to say this is the best we can do at the moment we're not saying we have the absolute answer this is the guidance we give and that's the way the holy spirit works in human history it seems to me but that's a debate which the church Beyond the particular issue of women priests or you've instanced the birth control issue, it has to look at its notion of doctrinal development. And that's a big item that's coming on the agenda very clearly. I think that's very helpful. And I think it is one of the key issues now because under Benedict, the whole terror of relativism. Mm. And yet, if you go to an idealistic, essentialist universalism, that can't be impacted by history, Mm. that doesn't work either. And certainly the philosophical movements that are there are showing that. So Mm. it is a time maybe for doing the digging work to build, to to have a good foundation to build a scaffold. Exactly. And and what's amazing in this, something like Lazarus Orsi is great, you go back into history, go back even into Benedict. And Benedict, he's sometimes criticised as always wanting continuity as opposed to discontinuity. But what he actually argued for was what he called a hermeneutic of reform. And when asked what reform meant, he said a sameness, a stability of principle, but a change in historical contingencies. So he was open to the fact that history throws up things which throw new light on situations. And we have to take that on board and be faithful to that. So I think that's a good thing that even Benedict, who's seen, as you rightly said, as an enemy of relativism, was not so dug in on an absolutist position, that he didn't also open the door to learning as we go along. And I do think that we have to do a lot of the spade work on that particular issue to release us from the tyranny, if you like, of absolutism, which we've got ourselves into. And uh, people now talk about orthodoxy and they criticise ideologies. Feminism, for example, is an ideology or the movement for the ordination of women is an ideology. No, it seems to me the ideology at the moment, post Pope Francis's talk about synodality and so on, the ideology is when you don't take all the evidence into account. And if you repeat orthodox teaching in such a way that it does not take account of the census fidelium, the sense of faith of the people, you're being ideological. So that's the new ideology, it seems to me. I don't like using words like ideology. Mm. But the fact is that ordinary, contemporary Catholic teaching on ecclesiology, on the church and so on, says that the way we come to truth is through scriptures, tradition, reading the signs of the times, the magisterium, and listening to the sense of faith of the people. And Pope Francis made a big thing of that. And what the sense of the faith of the people is saying is that on certain issues of sexuality and gender, instancing human birth control and the ordination of women, church teaching has not been received. And so we really need to do some more theology on that. Are you hopeful? Because you've outlined some hopeful steps. I mean, ex- between synodality, the openness of the Pope and spade work being done on Mm. resolving this contradiction between relativism and absolutism if that work is done it could be a way forward. No I'm very hopeful and and it was from the start of this synodality process because I think it does allow for that discussion and I'm also very clear we all have biases I have biases Mm. Pope Francis has biases there Bernard Lonning was terrific on on that just in terms of the unconscious bias which which people have 
But when a bias is brought to light, it's a wonderful saving moment. And the best chance of bringing biases to light was also the question in the clerical sexual abuse issue is when it's brought into the open. St. Ignatius is great on that. The devil loves darkness and secrets and all that. When you get it out into the open, you can discuss it, then you get somewhere. And Aquinas was great on that disputatio, the idea that you discuss things out. So I think it's very healthy that the church is into this phase. And uh, as, as Jim Corkley would say, I'm hopeful, not necessarily optimistic, because anything can happen that can stymie that along the way. But there is a real, real uh, seed of life there at the moment. And I think... The more people get involved at ordinary parish level, and in this particular issue, the more women can speak out, not necessarily only those who have a vocation for women, but who feel the injustice, as they experience it, of the fact that women, by their sex, by their gender, are prohibited from even being considered as candidates. The more that voice is heard, it seems to me, the more chance we have of moving forward as church. And it finally strikes me that it's very gospel-oriented. I mean, that's what Christ did. When he met the Syrophoenician woman, she challenged an unconscious bias about who he was there to serve, not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. The Samaritan woman, that's where he revealed that he was the Messiah. So there is something about other people and the other, in inverted commas, even in the gospel, bringing out new insights. Absolutely. And I mean, that's why they were able to do what they did at the Council of Jerusalem. They must have remembered at least that Jesus had this ability to be open. And the fact that they had a council and so on meant they weren't sure what Jesus would have thought. And that's the condition of the incarnation. We don't have all these answers on tablets and stones. That's the way it's done. The Holy Spirit is working in us and is working through discussion and listening and structured debate and so on. So it's a great sign that our church is alive at that level again. And the more people get involved, the healthier it will be.